Last week, uh, looking at Psalm 127, thinking of the building and the blessing of the home. And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to a very uh, known passage of Scripture. And I'm going to speak for a few minutes on the subject of loving leadership. And as I mentioned to you last week, when any pastor comes to the subject of family and spends weeks studying that subject and different aspects of it, it is a very humbling endeavor. Uh, You're always aware of your shortcomings, but when you're intentionally studying passages of Scripture to address the congregation on specific issues of family life, it is a very humbling endeavor. And as we come to the issue of marriage this morning, and in particular, that of husbands, uh, this is certainly the case. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 25, and this is what the Word of God says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor with spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." These verses that we've just read together are especially important in light of the present culture that you and I find ourselves living in. The foundation upon which marriage is built is under the greatest attack that it has ever seen. Now more than ever, people are confused about gender, about marriage, and about what it means to be a family. And if they're not confused about it, some are just outright hostile to the historic Christian view of marriage. Kostenberger and Jones in their book, God, Marriage, and Family, write, quote, For the first time in its history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father and a mother and a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one among several options, end quote. And what I want you to understand this morning, that this is not simply a war on the culture. This is a spiritual war that we are engaging in. The enemy of our souls would love nothing more than to confuse people and tear down the foundations of God's plan for marriage and family and the home. John Stott summarizes well the biblical concept of marriage. He writes, quote, marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman. It is ordained and sealed by God. It is preceded by the leaving of parents. It is consummated in physical union, issuing a permanent, mutually supportive partnership and normally crowned with the gift of children, end quote. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the Bible is very clear in affirming the goodness of marriage as God has designed it. And the Bible is also equally clear on affirming the goodness of singleness as God has defined it. And the Bible is very clear in affirming the covenant nature of marriage. Marriage is to be permanent. Marriage is to be sacred. Marriage is to be intimate. Marriage is to be mutual. And marriage is to be exclusive. 
And in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul lifts marriage to the highest level possible. For he sees in the Christian home an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. In fact, in the passage that we've just read together, the Apostle Paul uses five different verbs to describe Christ's commitment to the church, as well as a husband's commitment to his wife. He says that Christ loved the church, that Christ gave himself up for the church, that Christ sanctified the church, that Christ cleansed the church, and that one day Christ will present his church. And at the end of all of this description, the Apostle Paul says that this pattern of Christ's love and leadership of his church should be reflected in the way a husband leads and loves his wife. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Paul does not provide an exhaustive theology of marriage, but he does touch on the key responsibilities of husbands. And you will notice by examining the surrounding context of the passage that we read that the Apostle Paul only gives three verses to his instructions to wives. And he gives much more real estate to the instructions that he gives to husbands. And you say, why in the world would the Apostle Paul do that? And I say to you, the reason why he did that is because the husband's leadership in the home will set the tone and the temperature for the rest of the family. And as a result, the main emphasis of these verses is the husband's responsibility to lovingly lead his wife. I want to encourage those of you this morning who are single to do well in considering these ex Exhortations that Paul gives as you contemplate the kind of spouse that you should look for and the kind of marriage that you want to build. I strongly encourage those who are in the process of preparing for marriage to study and listen carefully the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives in this passage for the home. I strongly encourage those who are already married to ask God in the quietness of these few moments together to help you to see this passage fresh and new today so that your marriage would make it the distance and cross the finish line. And for those who find themselves widowed or in a different place of marriage, I encourage you to listen carefully to the Word of God as it instructs you, instructs you and encourages you for you have a wealth of wisdom to provide to the younger generations in this church this morning. And so I'm basically encouraging everyone not to zone out no matter what state of life you find yourself in this morning. It is the Word of God, and the Word of God is applicable to every single one of us. So now that I've got all of that out of the way, let's look at the text. And I want you to see five characteristics of loving leadership in the home. Number one, in verse 25, loving leadership in the home is sacrificial. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I say to you this morning that there is not a Christian husband in the sound of my voice if he is sincere about his task who can hear or read these words and not feel their weight. This verse actually continues the Apostle Paul's explanation of the principle of mutual submission that begins the entire passage of instruction on the home found in verse number 21. What I submit to you this morning is that if you want to properly understand and interpret Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, you must first properly understand and interpret Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 21. It is the key that unlocks the door to the rest of the passage. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this principle that he gives in verse 21 overshadows everything else he will say to wives and everything else he will say to husbands. Wives should submit to their husbands because they are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says in verse 25 that husbands are to submit to their wife by loving their wife as Christ loved the church. And Paul makes it clear that this is a boundless, agape, sacrificial kind of love. That Christ's pattern of love for his church is the standard for a husband's love for his wife. But the reality is because of sin, there's not a man alive who has the capacity to love with the divine fullness and perfection with which Christ loved his church. However, because a Christian man has the Spirit of God living inside of him, he does have the God-given ability to fulfill this command that Paul is issuing and love his wife with a measure of the love of Christ. I would say to you this morning, men, that if you didn't have the ability through the Spirit of God to love like this, God would not issue you this command. He never gives you a command that you can't obey with the help of the Spirit of God. And so you'll notice in verse 25 that Paul doesn't start with feelings. He starts with a command. It's a command to love, and he will issue this command three times in this passage. In verse 25, in verse 28, and in verse, 20, in verse 33. I want you to also understand that this is not a p- passive command in the language. And this is an active command. It is a command for men to take the initiative in their home. And I say to you at the outset, men... That God is issuing a command of leadership. It's a command of loving leadership. It is not a command to be passive. It is not a command to withdraw from your wife and to withdraw from your home. It is a command to actually lean into your wife. It is a command to lean into your home. It is a command to exert energy and influence through your love and through your leadership. It is not passive. No Christian husband has the right to be passive in his home. That's the command. The word love is the word agape. It does not denote mere affection or romantic attachment. It speaks of a higher form of love. It is a deliberate attitude of mind that, listen, it seeks the highest good of the one loved, even at the price of your own personal good. It is self-devotion. It is constant. It is loyal. It is unwavering no matter what the circumstances may be. This love is the kind of love that Jesus exhibited in his life. It's the kind of love that he exhibited in his ministry, and it's the kind of love that he exhibited in his death. It's a love, men, that should make it a delight for your wife to subject herself to your leadership in the home. This is a love with no strings attached and no ulterior motives. It's a love which gives even when there may not be anything received in return. A husband is not commanded to love his wife because of what she is or because of what she isn't. He is commanded to love her because it is God's will for him to love her in this way. It means that even if every appealing characteristic and every virtue of your wife fades, you as a husband are still under just as great an obligation to love her as you were the day you said, I do. The wife should have said amen to that. The husband 
who loves his wife only because of her physical attractiveness or her pleasing temperament does not love her the way Christ loved the church. The husband who loves his wife for what she can give him loves as the world loves, not as Christ loves. To be clear, Paul calls husbands to an all-encompassing, self-sacrificing love. The husband is not the master of his wife. He is not the cruel or the demeaning overlord of his wife. The husband is the self-sacrificing servant of his wife. He is to love her the way Christ loved the church. You'll notice in verse 22 that Paul stated that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. And because of that principle, the husband is to love his wife the way Christ loved his church. And when you're studying a passage of Scripture, it is a good practice to ask questions of the text. And so as I was studying this text, I asked this question. If there is a command here for the husband to love his wife the way Christ loved the church, then the question that needs to be asked and answered is this. How did Christ love the church? And actually, when you ask that question, you actually find the answer to the question in the text. Do you see what he says in verse 25? How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. So husbands, you and I are never more like Jesus than, we are giving, than when we are giving ourselves up for our wives. We are never more like Jesus in the home than when we are giving ourselves up for our wives. Christ gave himself up for the church. And so the husband in love follows Christ's example and gives himself up for his wife. It is a love that is humble. The Bible says that Christ set aside and came down to earth. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant that he didn't come to be served, but that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a humbling love, and a husband should love humbly in his home. It is a foot-washing love for Christ before he went to the cross, knelt down on the floor and girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. That is the kind of love that a husband should have for his wife. He should serve her and love her by washing her feet. It is a Golgotha love. A love in which a husband is willing to physically give his life for his wife if need be. It's a love in which a husband is willing to die daily in sacrifice for the good of his wife. John Stott described this love of Christ this way. The church's head is the church's bridegroom. He does not crush the church. Did you hear that? Christ doesn't crush the church. And I would say, parenthetically, a husband should not crush his wife in the home. Rather, he sacrificed himself to serve her in order that she might become everything he longs for her to be, namely herself in the fullness of her glory. Just so, a husband should never use his headship to crush or stifle his wife or frustrate her from being herself. His love for her will lead him to an exactly opposite path he will give himself for her in order that she may develop her full potential under God and so become more completely herself. End quote. This command to love is not only a willingness to physically die, it's a willingness to die in other sacrificial ways for your wife. It means a husband is willing to set aside his own likes and his own desires, his own preferences for the welfare and the good and the care and the love of his wife. The world tells the man that he is to be macho and he is to man up and he is to be rugged and tough and defend himself and assert himself and bring attention on himself and live for himself. And the Bible says that the man is to die to himself. 
that he is to sacrifice his life for his wife, for his family, just the way Christ sacrificed his life for the church. Loving leadership in the home is sacrificial leadership. Men, I want you to understand this morning that marriage is a call to humility. And if you don't realize that it is a call to humility in your pride, you will crush your wife and you will crush your home. Marriage is a call to humility. Marriage is a call to serve. Marriage is a call to die. Marriage is a call to give yourself away for the love and the good and the care and the nurture of another. And because that is what biblical marriage is, it means that a man's leadership in the home must flow from a heart of love for his wife. And so, men, I ask you today, does the leadership in your home flow from a heart of love? I ask you today, men, in your leadership, are you establishing a pattern of sacrificial love that is the norm in your marriage and in your home? Are you setting the standard, men, in your home for what love looks like by the way that you love your wife? And I will add, by the way that you love your children. Is it a sacrificial love? Well, loving leadership in the home is not only sacrificial. Paul tells us in verses 26 and 27, it is sanctifying Look carefully at what he says in these two verses. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In verse 26, Paul tells us that Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify the church. The word sanctify literally means to set apart. One scholar defined it this way. It means to put something back to its proper use. And in the context of Christ's work on the cross for the church, Christ died on the cross to set apart a people for himself. Christ rescued a people for himself through his work on the cross so that he could rescue them from the ravages of sin so that they could be restored to their proper use in which God created them in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says in verse 26 and in verse 27 that Christ died to do this for the church with the ultimate end goal Look at the text of presenting the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you know what that picture is describing? It is a return of the way God created man and woman in the garden before the fall without spot without wrinkle, without blemish, a people holy to himself. Christ died for the church to sanctify the church and to make it a holy people for his glory and to restore them to their proper and original use apart from sin. And notice in the text that Paul says that Christ sanctified the church through the washing of water with the word. Now, for about every commentary I read, there was a different interpretation of this phrase. And so what I did was I traced the words in the language of the phrase to find out what Scripture says about it in other places. And here's what I found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And let me give you the context of 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. In verses 9 and 10, Paul lists a whole group of people who will never inherit the kingdom of God 
because of their sin, because they've never been changed and transformed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being shed for them on the cross. And then in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says this, And such were some of you. Now listen to the language and compare it to Ephesians 5. But you were washed. Same language that he uses in Ephesians 5. You were sanctified. Same language, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so what, what I take wash to mean in this context and in the context of Ephesians chapter 5 is a cleansing. A cleansing that leads to sanctification. And then if you'll trace the language of Ephesians chapter 5 to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, here's what you'll find. Paul says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There it is again, the washing or the cleansing of regeneration or of the new birth or of salvation in Christ. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ sanctified the church by washing it and by cleansing it. And by renewing it from the effects of sin. And the goal of Christ's love was to present to himself a glorious bride, the church. Do you know what I think he is teaching husbands? That this is the goal of the husband's loving leadership in the home. That the husband is to love his wife in such a way that he has a cleansing, sanctifying influence upon her life so that she would better fulfill God's purposes in her life as a result of the way that the husband has loved her and led her. Sam Gordon said it this way. The husband is not to use his wife purely for his own pleasure and satisfaction. Rather, he is to show the kind of love to her that is mutually rewarding and sanctifying. As her loving and devoted head, he serves her and prays for her and adores her with an unconditional love. The whole marriage experience is one of constant round-the-clock growth intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Love always enlarges and enriches. It never stifles. He will seek to protect his wife from the camp contamination of the world. He will never induce her to do that which is wrong or unwise. He will never expose her to that which is less than good. His love is such that he will only want the finest and the best for her. End quote. Paul is teaching that a husband's love for his wife should have a sanctifying influence on her in such a way that the longer she's married to him, she is becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way that the husband has loved his wife. It is a call for the man to be concerned about his wife's spiritual well-being. It is a call for the man to discuss the word of God with her, to know how his wife is doing in her theological knowledge and understanding, how she is doing in the practice of spiritual disciplines, how she's doing in her service to the local church, how she is doing in her relationships, how is the state of her soul. It's a call for the husband to know his wife's dreams and hopes and fears and temptations and disappointments. It's the call for a husband to lovingly sanctify his wife through his leadership and his love. The way Christ sanctified the church. And if I could just practically insert something that's not in my notes this morning as I look out and I think about all of the young families that are represented and all of the stay-at-home moms and all of the moms who are working and being a mom and all of the difficulties that those bring. And I would say to you men that it is of utmost importance that you guard and watch the soul of your wife in this season of her life. I can remember a season of dryness in our home because of the state of life that we were in. 
So one year for Christmas, all I did for my wife is buy her a stack of resources. And then I boxed out for her and threatened the kids with their life if they interrupted her so she could pour into her soul. And I would say to you men that your wife will probably never box out for herself like that because she is such a servant in your home. And if you don't box out for her, who will? If you don't nurture her soul, who will? If you don't protect her from being dry and barren, who will? Feed her things that help her grow and flourish. Put her in the bathroom and lock the door and let her have peace and quiet with a bath and with candles and no kids and no diapers and no, can I have this, can I have that? That's loving, sacrificial, sanctifying leadership in your home on a practical level. And I would say to you men, it's, it's a challenge for you personally to live a life of sanctification and holiness. To pursue holiness in your mind and in your heart and in your thoughts and in your desires. To guard your soul and the things that you're looking at on your phone and on your iPad and on your computer and on your TV screen. And not allowing those influences to come inside of you and consume you and sour your soul and your desires. A husband, listen men, a husband should never be a detriment to his wife's spiritual growth. Never. There's never an excuse for that. A husband should love and lead in such a way that he fosters her spiritual growth. And so, it's a reminder to every husband that just as Christ presented the church to himself, listen men, there's coming a day when our wives will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they will give an account of their life to him and what they've done with their body, whether good or bad. And we should love and lead our wives in such a way that they'll be ready to stand before Christ on that day. And I would also remind every husband in this room this morning that you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And every single one of us will give an account of how we've lovingly led our wives whether good or bad, and how they fostered or struggled under our love and our leadership. This type of love, this sanctifying love, is of eternal significance. We're not just talking about love in the home on a day-in and day-out basis. This is a love that prepares both the husband and the wife for eternity. It's that kind of love. These verses demand that husbands ask if their wife is more like Christ because she is married to us or if she's more like Christ in spite of being married to us. It demands that we ask if we're encouraging our wife's growth intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. Is she thriving? Is she thriving under our love, under our leadership? Well, loving leadership in the home is not only sacrificial and sanctifying, it's also satisfying in verses 28 to 30. Notice what he says. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And notice in verse 28, he begins the verse with the phrase in this same way. Uh, with this phrase, Paul is emphasizing the oneness of Christ in his church, and he refers to the church as his very own body. And what he's teaching us is that just as Christ and his church become one in a body, 
in marriage, the husband and wife become one flesh. And just as Christ loves his own body, the church, and just as the husband loves his own body, he should love his wife. Husbands, love your wives as your own body. And notice what the text says, men. Notice carefully what it says. It says that when a man loves his wife in this way, he's really loving himself. What an odd statement. A man is really loving himself. You know that's true, don't you? You love yourself. Pastor, I don't love myself. Yes, you do. You looked in the mirror this morning. You said, I'm losing some hair, but it's not as bad as the pastor's. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. And, well, I've been going to the gym, and my pants aren't quite as tight as they were. And there's a little bit of muscle, and you love yourself. You go to the gym, and you work out right in front of the mirror so you can see everything. And you're fooling yourself. You love yourself. And Paul says, the way you love yourself is the way you should love your wife. Uh, I like what Chuck Swindoll said about it. The way a man treats his wife reflects the level of his own self-respect. Just let that sit for a minute. Your own self-respect is a gauge on how you're loving your wife. Either say, ouch, or amen. The man who loves his wife is actually loving his own body because he and his wife are one flesh. With the same efforts that a husband takes to care for himself, he should use those same efforts to care for his wife. If a husband goes to the gym, he should make sure his wife has the opportunity to go to the gym if she so desires. If the husband takes a nap, he should make it possible for the wife to take a nap if she so desires. He should meet the needs of his wife with the same care and concern that he meets his own needs. And notice what verse 29 says. Do you see it, men? Paul says that husbands should nourish and cherish their wife just as Christ does the church. Nourish your wife. Cherish your wife. The word nourish is literally where we get our English word nutrition. It means to provide for her needs in such a way that you are nurturing her and you are providing the nutrition that she needs to grow and to mature and to develop. The word cherish means to warm, to foster with tender care, to comfort, to protect, to be secure. It describes a nurse caring for her patient and a mother caring for her newborn. It, it literally means to be tender with your wife. Do you know what he's saying with this language of nourishing and cherishing? Men, he's saying that your wife is a treasure and a gift from God that is to be nourished. It is to be nurtured. It is to be cared for. It is to be treasured as the gift that it is. You should tell your wife how you feel about her to the point where she can just look at you and say, I know. I know. I know you mean it. Because it's not just what you're saying, it's how you're living. It's how you're leading. It's how you're loving. Oh, but you might be too macho for that. You might think like the old guy said, I told her on the day we married I love her. I don't need to tell her again. You're hard. Your heart's hard. It's harsh. She deserves your tenderness, your care, your comfort. Your provision. Your wife needs a soft heart, not a prideful one. And so we ask ourselves, how am I nourishing my wife? How am I cherishing her? How am I satisfying her needs? How am I providing for her? That's what the text demands. It's the kind of loving leadership in the home. It's satisfying. In verses 31 to 32, we see that loving leadership in the home is not only sacrificial and sanctifying and satisfying, it's a story. Loving leadership in the home is a story. 
Look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. In verse 31, Paul refers back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, and the creation of Adam and Eve and the forming of the first marriage in the home in the Garden of Eden. And with this verse, Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5.31, Paul is emphasizing the permanence as well as the unity of marriage. Now, career folks, college students, teenagers, listen to what your pastor is about to teach you from the Bible. It will save you heartache later. The unity of marriage, the unity of a relationship between a husband and a wife is seen in the text with the phrase, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he and his wife shall become one flesh. That is the whole meaning of unity in a marriage. A man leaves his own house, leaves his own parents, a wife leaves her own house, she leaves her own parents, and they come together as husband and wife, and they become one flesh, physically, spiritually, emotionally. They are all together as one. And this is the leave principle of marriage. The text does not say that a man takes a wife and he moves her into his parents' basement. It says that the man mans up and he establishes a home for his wife. He leaves one family unit to establish his own family unit. And I tell you that the degree of success for young married couples is the degree to which they follow this principle of leaving and establishing their own home. Notice the permanence of marriage. It is seen in the fact that a man shall leave his father and mother and listen to what the text says. Hold fast to his wife. This is the cleave principle of marriage. The word hold fast literally means to be glued or cemented together. It means that a newly formed husband and wife leave one family of cement and security, and they establish another. It means that the husband and the wife begin to depend upon themselves. They're cemented together in a permanent, unified marriage. The leave principle and the cleave principle. And I tell you, young folks, the degree to which you follow these two principles is the degree to which your marriage will start out right. My wife and I got married. We went on our honeymoon, and we never came back to West Virginia. We established ourselves in North Carolina, 10 hours away. And do you know what we had to instantly do? Depend upon one another. And we cut our marriage eye teeth that way. And you see, your first year of marriage is when you cut your permanent marriage teeth. And if you don't get them cut straight in the first year, you'll spend the next 10 correcting all of the problems. You leave and you cleave and you depend upon one another. That is the way God designed it. And I want you to listen to your pastor this morning, church. The way God established it in Genesis chapter 2 and the way that Paul establishes it in Ephesians chapter 5 is still the way God establishes it today. One man, one woman, seeming it together for life. God's standard has not changed. And this pulpit will continue to declare that standard to the end. No matter what the world says about it. And you've got a choice. To submit to the word and what the word says that marriage is or bend to the culture. And let me tell you, if you are tempted to bend to the culture, the culture will always move the benchmark. 
the word of God never will. All that was free. But I want you to notice in verse 32, because I told you this is a story. Loving leadership in the home is a story. And so I'm going somewhere with what he said in verse 31. Verse 31, the husband and wife, they, they come together. They, they're cemented together. And you know what God does? He writes their story. Like when you get married, he begins writing a story about you and your wife. It's the story of the two of you, and it's not like any other story. It's personal for you. But then, in verse 32, he says, your story, it points to a greater story. It points to the story that God has written about Christ and his church. And what he's teaching us in verse 31 and verse 32, don't miss this, men. The way you love your wife, the way you lead your wife, points to the story that God has written about Christ in his church so that when you lovingly lead your wife in a sacrificial, sanctifying, satisfying, self-love kind of way, other people would be able to look at your marriage and look at your home and look at how you're loving and leading your wife and how your wife is responding to that love and that leadership and they'll see Christ and his church. They'll say there's something different about that marriage. There's something different about that home. That's why Dan Allender and Trimper Longman in their book, Intimate Allies, describes the truth that Paul is teaching. They say marriage is not merely a convenience to overcome loneliness or an expedient arrangement to propagate the race. First and foremost, marriage is a mirror of the divine human relationship. Every marriage is meant to represent God, his perfect relationship with himself as father, son, and spirit, as well as his relationship with his people. And we reveal God by the way we love our spouses. Your marriage is a story. Your marriage is far bigger than you. It's about God and his glory and him redeeming a people for himself. And all that is seen in the way you lovingly lead your wife. It's amazing, isn't it? To think about it. That that is the purpose and the picture of marriage. Spurgeon in his sermon, Christ's love to his spouse, describes it this way. This love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not heaven itself, how often have I said to you that if I had heard that Christ pitied us, I could understand it. If I had heard that Christ had mercy upon us, I could comprehend it. But when it is written that he actually loves us, that is quite another and a much more extraordinary thing. Love between mortal and mortal is quite natural and comprehensible, but love between the infinite God and us poor, sinful, finite creatures, though conceivable in one sense, is utterly inconceivable in another. Who can grasp such an idea? Who can fully understand it? Especially when it comes in this form, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. This is the miracle of miracles, he says. And do you know how people can see it? Do you know how people can see it when they don't believe it? In your marriage. Your marriage is the story of Christ pursuing a sinful people to himself so he could restore them. When they can't believe what you say, they can see it in your marriage. I wonder today, if your marriage were the only gospel witness others could see, would it point people to Christ? Well, loving leadership in the home is not only sacrificial and sanctifying and satisfying in a story. Finally, and this is the shortest one, it's secure. Loving leadership in the home is secure. Would you look at verse 33? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I reminded you that the command to love is repeated three times in this passage. Verse 25, verse 28, verse 33. And, and here's what I want to teach you about this. The husband's responsibility to love 
is the wife's greatest need. Do you see what Paul does in verse 33? He summarizes everything that he said about husbands and wives, beginning in verse 22 with verse 33. And what he does in verse 33 is he tells us biblically the wife's greatest need and the husband's greatest need. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Do you know why he said that? Because biblically speaking, according to God, the wife's greatest need is the love of her husband. And do you know what he says the husband's greatest need is? I'm kind of cheating before I talk about the wives here. It's respect. And when a wife feels loved, the kind of love that Paul has outlined in verses 25 to 32, when she feels loved like that, listen to me, men. This is worth taking home today. She feels secure. And my thesis to you is that when she feels secure in the love that you have for her and then the way that you're leading her, verses 22 to 24 won't be a problem. It's when she doesn't feel secure in your love that the rails of marriage go off the tracks. So is she secure? Is she? Is she secure in your love? Is she secure in your leadership? Does she have doubts about your commitment to her? Or is she thoroughly convinced, not just by what you say, but by how you're leading and how you're loving, that she's all yours and your heart is for her? That's loving leadership in the home. Marriage is God's idea. God established it. God ordained it. Because it's God's idea and because he established it and he ordained it, he gets to say how it's to function. And our job is to submit to it. And he says that a marriage should function in the home between one man and one woman where the man sacrificially loves and leads his wife for the glory of God. That's our task, men. Loving leadership in the home. And I say to you today, I've, I've pointed all around it this morning, and I have to say it to you directly. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, men, you'll never be able to love like this because you don't have the capacity to love like this. You need the Holy Spirit of God living inside of your life to empower you to attempt this kind of love. And if you don't know Christ today, you've seen it in the text. He died for you so that you can have life with him. Would you turn from your sins and trust Christ today for your salvation, for the good of your soul and the good of your marriage? Let's pray.